with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles. Next Generation, right? That's right. And this We're is back. my co-host, of course, the blind bombshell herself, Ian Kerrigan. And this is, this is our fourth... Um, 
Yeah, four, right? Yes, after that episode. Of um, the televised edition of it. Yes. Which is kind of neat. So, anyways, I hope everybody had great holidays, you know, Kwanzaa and uh, whatever <laughs> else that they uh, dug up. And um, they're back to normal for the new year, 2014, for right? new and exciting things. Right, right. You know, uh, but... Did you have a good Christmas? I don't remember. You don't remember? I don't remember. I guess it must have been a really good Christmas. It uh, could have been. <laughs> Maybe it was the eggnog, I don't know. But anyways... Um, we have a nice show to you because it's a little different than what we've done in the past. Yep. yep. Um, we have with us, I hate to say a magician, but is that what we're going to use? I think that's what he is. Anyways, uh, <laughs> let's introduce him, the man, Viano. Thank you, Ron. Hello. So is it magician or not magician? I don't mind being called a magician. Okay. I mean, what, what's the difference between escape artists and magicians? Are escape artists magicians? Are yes. magicians escape artists? It's a subset. Uh, an escape artist is using a lot of different skills that magicians don't have and using a lot of magician skills to conceal the other skills from the public. So you have to be a, a practiced magician in order to know how to conceal what you want to conceal from the public as you're doing your escapes. We use a different set of tools, a different set of skills, but it's still a subset of magic. So I have no problem with that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, when we talk about magic and we talk about escape as for instance, we have right here, let me get this, and I'll show that. This is a photograph of a guillotine. Indeed. Right? And yes. there's a couple of people Thanks. there. <laughs> All right. Now, this is a real guillotine. Yes. Okay. So is this... Escape artist, or is it magicianist? That is absolutely escape. Uh, the the uh, the guillotine is a real guillotine, and, and the way we present that is uh, my hands are cuffed behind my back by a local police officer. My head's put into the headstock, and two locks are locked down on that. The blade this time is all the way at the top, and then they set fire to the rope. Hey. Oh, my God. And the <laughs> trick is to get out before the rope burns into. And the rope burns into in less than a minute. And the difference between magic and escapes, this is a good point you brought up. Immediately after I escape from there, and I've, been, I've escaped every time I've done it. You're still here. And there's a story about that. Uh, Immediately, the audience, anyone over the age of 16, is invited to come on stage and examine the guillotine. If you find anything trick, faked, or gimmicked, we offer a $10,000 reward. Now, you can go to all the magic shows you want, and when the guy vanishes in a puff of smoke or whatever, you don't get to come on stage and examine the box. No. Right. So this is kind of the difference between escapes and magic. So could you really get hurt with this thing? Uh, the last time I was in there, I was out two seconds before the rope burned in two. Oh, my God. That's why it was the last time I was in there. Oh. <laughs> I quit at that point. I was older than I'd ever been before. I was slower than I'd ever been before. And I said, hmm, good time to stop. So uh, yeah. the gentleman in the middle there is Harley Newman. And I've said I will not permit anybody to perform that effect except Harley. If Harley wanted to do it, I would teach him to do it and permit him to do it. Nobody else would I be willing to accept the responsibility because it's a real guillotine. The gentleman on the right there is Don Viano, who was my mentor. 
piano. He's the great piano. Don, he's the great Don Viano performed as Viano. And after he trained me and I started, uh, he got injured in a car accident and I started doing his act. And I came to him one day and I said, Don, I've got to find a stage name. And he said, looked at me very puzzled. He said, I could never understand why people would use a different name because you go on stage to draw attention to yourself. Why would you use somebody else's name? Right. I said, Don, my name is Richard Laven Good. You just told everyone that, you know that. And he said, <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you use Viano? I'm not using it anymore. <laughs> I became Viano at that point. There you go. Wow. So Viano, that's how that came. So, and yes. I, I have to admit, I mean, I did see this guillotine. Really? Personal. Oh, my It's the God. real deal. Yeah. In fact, you have, a story, you have a story about that, don't you? <sighs> yeah, about Don performing it. And yes, Don mm. was doing a telethon. And uh, we put uh, lighter fluid on the rope so that it burns. And Don was doing a telethon, and he said, I need five minutes to prep for it because they couldn't do the whole routine. We're just going to come on and do a quickie. And so they said, five minutes, you're on. And so they put on the lighter fluid. They're ready to go. Milton Berle was on. Milton Berle was scheduled to be off in three. Good. He was having oh. so much fun, he decided to stay. And he said, oh, uh, Don, no, 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 you're, you're another five. Uh-huh. Oh, boy, never done this before. We're not sure what to do. Better put some more lighter fluid on there. <laughs> Oh, Earl had no. so much fun, he stayed for another five. Don went in with the third dose of lighter fluid. It burned in two in the shortest time ever. It nicked the top of his head, took off a piece the size of a quarter. Oh, my God. And Don went on and performed it another hundred times after that. I had my oh. second warning and said, Yeah. Oh, we move on to another effect. My hands are sweating <laughs> just thinking about that. That's why that I is, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it there. He didn't know that, but that's, that's but, but as I, a, I really have no sense. Oh, oh, oh. And, oh and again, the difference between a magician and, and an escape artist, if we cannot establish our credibility as an escapist, if you think it's a trick, then it's, it's not effective. You have to believe that what we're doing is real. Right. So you have to bleed a little. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, when we're doing the handcuffs, which I didn't want to do tonight, uh, if I don't have lose some skin and get a little bleeding or bruising or something, then I don't feel I had enough handcuffs on. It's got to be hard. It's got to be physically difficult it, mm -hmm. because it's not a trick. Right. <laughs> For those who don't wow. know what we're talking about, um, uh, Viano actually came to the last spirit quest and he did the handcuff thing. And uh, well, basically we have the handcuffs here. I mean, we're off a little bit, but that's all right. That's we'll, we'll go in. That's fine. We've got so time. I'm going to go into the magic box. <laughs> okay, the magic box. Yeah, see, watch. Booba, booba. Poof. It opened. Ooh. Yeah. Wow, you must be really you know, impressed. Yeah, okay. Tricky. A major so, part of Harry Dini's act was handcuff escapes. And, and uh, in, ooh. in Harry's era, this was a common escape. So, this is kind of what you and Tom used on <laughs> Saturday nights. <laughs> Uh, this one is kind of interesting. It's a, it's a oh, Darby. Oh, I guess not. Terrible. It's, uh, I have pink fur. Oh, okay. <laughs> None of mine have fur. Uh, actually, I bought a pair of handcuffs from a pawn shop in San Francisco once, and he apologized because it didn't have fur. <laughs> but it was, it was actually an antique cuff. Now, it's an interesting cuff. This was uh, started in England back in Harry's day, and I want you to see what is necessary in order to open this cuff. So basically, this is a heavy metal handcuff that he has, and he has this turnkey that he's putting in the end of it to open it, and he's turning it and turning right. it and turning it, and guess mm -hmm. what? He's oh, turning it. Oh, and now I say, open. now, criminal, please put your wrist in there while I 
close this, and now I unturn several times. Look how long it takes to do that. Yeah. Okay, wow. Mr. Criminal, thank you very much. Now let's do the other okay. hand, please. <laughs> so I was always baffled as to how they okay. actually got these on criminal. How could they catch somebody? <laughs> I, found, <laughs> I found a 1903 training manual in Scotland Yard. It says the first step in using these cuffs is to take your truncheon and beat the chap to the ground. Right. Then Until he's unconscious. <laughs> now, another interesting thing about these cuffs, you can see that they are, are fixed in size. So if, if you have a small person, you have a smaller cuff. A large person, right. you have a larger cuff. Yeah. So they typically carried three different cuffs mm -hmm. at this stage. It's mm -hmm. called a derby cuff, and this was the first common cuff that was out there. Very, very good restraint. So for those who, who don't know, and once again, we're going to describe these as it's basically uh, a heavy metal U-shaped like a horseshoe with a lipstick tube on the top that they take this long key and go over and over and over again, right? Yeah, because... Okay. So... Uh, somebody has a question. Oh! Oh, what oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, is there any way to get out of a handcuff without cheating? What do you mean by cheating? I, I, I'm not sure what he means by cheating. Yes. What are you trying to do? Can put my hand in them. Yeah. Uh, no, with that question, yep. John is asking, is there any way to get out of a handcuff without cheating? cheating? We don't know what cheating means, but I'm going to show you in a few moments a way. I'm going to demonstrate. I'm not going to. I'll tell you about it. But we'll keep going now. Uh, the next cuff that came out after this was. Okay, the next one. I, I have to describe. Remember, we're on radio, Rich, okay? Sorry. So, <laughs> I mean, Viano. Uh, this one here, the, the first one we had was a chain in between it. This one here is a fixed. In other words, the, both cuffs are welded together. It's a still it has the heavy lipstick type key type thing on it. There you go. Rich. And this is known as a figure eight, and it's very much more restraining than the other cuffs. So yeah. some, some like that, countries right? built this and liked it. Uh, Harry Houdini encountered this tile of cuff in uh, Hamburg, Germany, called it the Hamburg 8. It was not made in Hamburg, but forever it's been known as the Hamburg 8 since then. And that was Harry Houdini actually named it. Harry called it the Hamburg 8, yeah. and since then we call it the Hamburg 8. Because of that. It wasn't made in Hamburg. Right. It was in Hamburg that he first encountered it. And oh, it's, okay. it's, a, it's a devilish cuff. It, it's difficult to escape from. Absolutely. I would think so. Yeah. It's a Hyatt. That one says Hyatt. That yeah. one's British Hyatt. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, from the hotel chain. <laughs> <laughs> so the next okay. one we have, we have another one, which is another solid chain. This is very similar to the first one. So what's the difference between this one and the first one? This we one at? is a ratchet, so that you don't have to have Thank different you. sizes for different people. It's exactly the same lock mechanism. You're oh, pulling okay. a lipstick. Right. Yep. Now it snaps down for smaller wrists. Oh, ah. it, it actually goes into the horseshoe shape a little deeper. Yeah. Okay. And you snap it down, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. There was a big issue at that time. It was not uncommon for children to be employed as pickpockets. Ah. So you have to have a cuff that can restrain a child. Well, if you have a cuff that is specifically designed for a child, some people get upset about that. That seems to be not right. Ah. And so well. now we make a cuff that will fit an adult and a child. Now we're in business. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you can chain them to their workstation. Is that what we're <laughs> yes. doing? Yes. That's what I do. Okay. Uh, no. Okay. No, this is once again is it's a the double one with the chain in between it, but it, it's got like these teethy things. Yeah. This is another That's uh, the technical term. Teethy, teethy thing. thing. Right. This is a, another ratchet cuff, like so it fits That's, all sides. Oh, kind of like modern day cuffs. One side fits like all. Cuffs. This yeah. was the first of the modern cuffs, but this one has but a you unique know about side. Modern day cuffs, by the way. I told you, I just don't. I. 
Yeah. I, uh, uh, the curious uh, thing about this one, <laughs> and this one was actually designed in America by a dude up in uh, Maine, as I recall. The key goes in there. Oh, okay. In the end. So it's a long key that goes in there. So if I'm wearing the cuffs. You can't get the key in. So but I could see me there, and I can't. I can see it. So the key goes in here. So if I'm wearing the cuffs, I can't get the key in. So now, even if I can get the key, mm -hmm. I can't get out. Right. Or so you would think. Right. right. So, anyways, I mean, there is a delay, by the way, in the photograph. Just okay. You know, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we do have another one in here, which uh, is... This is another one just... Ratchet thingy? Yeah, yeah, ratchet, modern. Uh, he is in the side of it. He is in the side of it. Again, it's awkward to get to. No big deal. But now back to John's question. I yep. think we've got one more in there. We do. We, yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is That's for um, Andre the Giant. <laughs> yeah, good. You run your neck. Andre was a sweet guy. Okay, this is just like the other handcuffs we looked at, except this is a leg iron. Oh, okay. And so oh, that's why it's longer than the other. That's right. why it's longer and it's, it's bigger. Now, Ratchet. So the ratchet. When, when Harry Houdini did his handcuff act, yep. he did, like I do, five, six, seven, eight pairs of cuffs. Mm -hmm. Often the last pair of cuffs that went on was a pair of leg iron cuffs like this because he had very large forearms. Oh, right. So like me. Right, yes. just, just like Man Helsing. After you get, just like Man Helsing. You get six or eight cuffs on here. Now, this one ends up going on up here, up high. Now, Harry could go like this and slide that cuff off. It's called slipping a cuff. Oh. He did it without a key okay. and without a trick and without cheating. Just Now, the cheat to make that work is that when you're practicing, you take a, a wood clamp, the two parallel hey. <laughs> two parallel things that go back and forth to clamp wood, and you clamp your hand up like this to the point where it's just uncomfortable, and you leave it that way for a half hour or so. And every day to where it's just uncomfortable. You don't, don't pain, just uncomfortable. Your hand gets smaller and smaller as you develop the ligaments. Oh. Now you can get down and you can slip. Oh, wow. wow. I was never good at slipping, but I have friends who do it quite well. That's why I've been married for 43 years, my wife. <laughs> You know, she says, uh, you know, living with you just uncomfortable, then she gets used to me. And, and then you get more uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and, yes. you know, it works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Is that a question? It's an impression, I think, on the yeah, teleprompter. It's, uh, yeah, it's backwards. Uh, yeah, it's backwards. That's all right. Uh, is that John's question? We have a new question. That's all right. Well, so... <laughs> this is We're having fun. some teleprompters. Well, that, what do you want for magic, oh, well. <laughs> right? Magic of paranormal. So what do you want? Can I just suggest it out? Yeah, ask it out. Okay. Shout out. Stephen W.K. Scott. Yep. Hey, Stephen. Okay. You have to repeat the question. How, that. how, uh, where, how did where did escapology start? Uh, Interesting question, not a good answer, but I will tell you to go back to uh, ancient India of 4,000 years ago. There was a dude named Krishna, Krista, I think it is, Krishna. And Krishna was tied with ropes and thrown into the Ganges River, and the river expelled him, and he came out. That's, according to my friend Harley Newman, that's the first documented escapist. Now, in colonial times, there were people who traveled around America, and they called themselves self-liberationists. Sometimes escapists, but more often self-liberationists. We had that in the 60s. 
And so, <laughs> so uh, if uh, you've ever seen where they slaughter pigs, there's a big iron triangle thing that you hang the pig up on when Ew. you. Use the, yeah. So they would have themselves tied up, chained, whatever, with the farmer's implements, hung by his feet on this triangle, mm -hmm. and then they would escape. And then you give them money, and they'd move on to the next town. So that was the beginning of escapology in America. I'm not sure about Europe. Somewhere between 4,000 years ago in India and, and colonial America, that's all I know. The rest of it I don't know. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. But uh, going back to Spiriquis, um Rick uh, Viano actually uh, did that, that one with all the handcuffs. He yes. had mm -hmm. several pieces. Now, you had several people from the audience came up. They all, each one of them had the key. Okay. They all locked you up. Again, the, 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 the thing that's important in selling an escape show is I have to convince you that it's real. So I put the handcuffs on you first. Okay. We have six or eight volunteers up there. So each of them has handcuffs on. And I say, okay, find the magic button, see what you can do. Mm -hmm. They can't get out. Now I give them the keys to their cuffs. Mm -hmm. Most of them can't get out even when they have the key because like this special one where the key goes in. So oh, it takes a long So most right. of them cannot get out even when they have the key. Now I've convinced you that, hey, this ain't a magic trick. <laughs> now you put them on me, the whole series at once. All of them. Wow. And then I proceed to escape, which is not a quick action. It takes a while to get there. And again, in today's 22nd mentality, uh, that kind of show is unusual. And you have to get them emotionally involved before you give me three, four, five minutes, whatever it takes. I don't know how long it's going to take to get out. I, mm -hmm. I, I, have, uh, uh, I have six or seven different tools to get out with. I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. I don't know which one's going to work because I don't know how tight you put the cuffs on me. And if they're tighter, then it's different than if they're looser and so on. So mm -hmm. it's a different act. Now, again, back with the time of Harry Houdini, he used to do a three- or four-hour show in the wow. last years of his life. Four hours. He had a, uh, down in the orchestra pit, oh, which yeah. we don't have orchestra pits anymore, but there could be a 27-piece orchestra, live orchestra, playing the music while he was doing the escapes. So it was a very different concept of time and entertainment then than what we have now. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the other cool thing at Sparacus when Viano uh, was there is that he had an actual pair of Harry Houdini's handcuffs that the key was gone, I believe it was? Correct. Right. And they've never been opened. So we attempted a Harry Houdini seance uh -huh. and to try to draw Harry Houdini to spirit to end to open the handcuffs to uh, yep. see if he, to prove that he was there. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, it didn't work, but... Uh, Harry's that way. He, he tends to frustrate you at uh, seances. But uh, that pair of cuffs was uh, from Harry Houdini's collection. It had been stored in a barn for uh, 20 or 30 years. It was rusty, and I didn't have the key. So we thought, I can't open it. Perhaps he can. Mm -hmm. Why not? Sure. Jen had her hands in them. Oh, really? How <laughs> <laughs> that worked. Uh, she had little teeny hands. Ooh, so she could get So anyways, um, you mentioned Harry Houdini so many times. And, and there's always this connection between... Harry Houdini and the spiritualists, and, and supposedly a war between it, but you don't really consider that, do you? No, that's uh, uh, media blitz. Uh, no. Uh, first of all, 
spiritualism started cranking up in upstate New York in uh, 1848, 1850. Uh, and it grew very quickly. Uh, Harry was, as a young person in the late 1800s, he was working in a circus as a sideshow performer. And he and Bess actually performed seances at times, trying to see what would happen. Now, I don't think Harry was a spiritualist at that time, but I think he was what we would properly call a skeptic. Most people who call themselves skeptics are actually cynics, but a skeptic is one who has an open mind, and Harry had an open mind. So many years later, when his mother died, he was a big mama's boy, and he was in Europe at the time. He was in Copenhagen, and his tradition for performing was that he would never eat before a show. So he would go take a nap before a show. Bess would go to the theater, make sure that everything is perfect. Then Harry would come in, do the show, then they'd go eat. And so at dinner that night, he told his mother, he told Bess, that his mother had come to him in a, a dream, perhaps, and had spoken to him. The next morning, he got a telegram saying his mother had died. Oh. So now he was wondering, how can he communicate with Mama? So he tried. Uh, he found fake mediums, which is not too shocking. He wasn't looking for fake mediums. He, he found, found fake mediums, mediums that were fake. He found, yeah, he found mediums who were faking. Yeah. And with his knowledge of magic, he said, I know what they're doing. I can see that. So he's rejecting them. Well, he met uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He wrote... Uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a medical doctor trained at Edinburgh University. And one of his professors at Edinburgh University had the ability to look at a person as they're walking in, and he would look at them, and he would size them up, and he would diagnose them medically. This was the concept that led to Sherlock Holmes solving the crimes by mm. deduction. We call them medical intuitives now. Yeah. yeah, right. So this guy was teaching at Edinburgh University and could do it. So he was for real. Mm -hmm. uh, so Eric, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had a son who died in World War I in 1914. And he was trying to contact his son through the spiritualist. Harry's trying to contact his mother through the spiritualist. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually was revealing phony psychics before Harry Houdini did. Because mm -hmm. ah. they are both legitimately skeptics. They are trying to make contact and if you come in and play games with them, they can see through you, and they'll shun you because they don't want this. They're honestly seeking contact. Right. So that continued. Uh, they became good friends for a long time and would communicate back and forth. Uh, Harry found that he could put one-third of his evening act into exposing fraudulent mediums. Mm -hmm. So he would go to the town that he's going to do next. He had... People went ahead, find me a fake over here. Oh, okay, I've got him. Boom, I'll expose him. So one-third of his show was magic, one-third was escapes, and one-third was fraudulent mediums. So Arthur Conan Doyle got upset with Harry because he thought, you're just trying to make money off the fraudulent mediums. <laughs> you're, 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 you've lost the goal. Yeah, doing yeah. the same thing. Right. <laughs> Two months before he died, he gave a lecture at uh, Utica University in New York in which he said he believed that it was possible to communicate with the other side. 
And of course, he had the password with Bess that they set up. So he died thinking that maybe. So he was never the cynic that he was portrayed to be. And the fact that you found uh, a phony medium in virtually every town you went to should not be too surprising. Right. <laughs> he, he wasn't disillusioned with, with mediums. He went to his grave hoping to contact. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah. did he believe in mediums per se? Or did he just think uh, they all magicians? No, he, he, he did. He, and this is where he and Arthur Conan Doyle uh, uh, got into. Arthur Conan Doyle would call him periodically and say, hey, I found a good one. You've got to go check this guy out. That guy typically was not then exposed. Well, that's good. So, <laughs> they yeah. gave someone a break. <laughs> now, as you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're doing uh, seances, uh, uh, you can't, it, it's not like a, a personal phone call you're making. You can uh, try to communicate to the other side, and even if we assume that it worked, you don't necessarily get the person you were phoning. You may get somebody else that's or whatever. True. So, it, it, was, it was never clear in Harry's mind that it was a fraud. Mm -hmm. It was always a possibility. And the famous quote that he made to Bess, if it is possible for anybody to come back from the other side, it will be me. Right. Who better? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because uh, Maureen and I actually have code words that if either one of us pass, we have a secret code word that we have sealed up mm -hmm. and uh, that we were going to know if you can come back. Yeah. Bess cool. got into trouble. After Harry died, Bess... Uh, uh, had a drinking problem, had a relationship with uh, a con artist, and ended up saying that uh, Harry had indeed communicated. And then others said, no, he hadn't. And, and so it gets a little murky there. But mm -hmm. at the end of 10 years, she said very definitely, he has not come back. I'm turning out the light. Oh. I'm getting choked up here. Uh -huh. uh, she kept a, a, a candle in her bedroom window. Uh-huh. For ten years, wow! So that if he came back, he'd find the way. Fine. My wife does that. She has a red light. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she was she was a believer. They tried. It didn't work. She said it didn't work. She said the light goes out. Good night, Harry. Very dramatic speech. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, she said, "Oh my golly, he he spoke to me last night. He and he gave me the password and blah blah blah. And then it turns out it was this other dude who was involved." Oh, so, no. Unfortunate. Uh, unfortunate. Well, you know, it's, speaking about Harry Houdini, I have right here. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I have this, which is kind of interesting. And um, for those who can't see it, of course, it is a piece of paper in a frame <coughs> and with lots of go. writing on it. It's a piece of paper in a frame. No. But. <laughs> what more did you need to go? Viano, what am I holding in my hand here? <laughs> that is an exact replica, a copy, if you will, of Harry Houdini's death certificate. Ah. He died at 1.30 p.m. in Grace Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. He did not die in the water cell as Tony Curtis did. Oh, that's just... Oh. Uh, virtually everything in the Tony Curtis movie did not happen. Uh, it was... Sort of like our shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they had him going into the Detroit River under the ice, and his okay. mother was talking oh. to him. It never happened. Oh. But this says that he died of peritonitis. Oh, that's what I was just going to look yeah. to see if... But I can't read the writing. Oh, uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, diffused peritonitis streptococcus. Yep. Or something. They had no... Uh, Infection. Yeah. He had a ruptured appendix. There you which go. Which was not due to the punch in the stomach. Really? 
Ah. They've had recent doctors who have said, no, you can't punch somebody in the stomach and rupture their appendix. He had appendicitis, which he did not attend to uh-huh. because he's got a show. Right. And he was hurting and in great pain, but you've got to do the show. Right. Show must go on. And then he got punched, probably irrelevant. And then he, that was in Montreal, then he went on to Detroit. And in Detroit, uh, he finished the show and collapsed after the show, or he collapsed at the end of the show, depending on who you're listening to. Mm-hmm. They took him to the hospital, and his appendix had ruptured. They did not have penicillin and all that good stuff at that time. So at that point in time, he was dead. Right. It was just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sent word back to New York. Uh, he at best had a, was back in Detroit. Uh, she was sick at the time. And uh, they lived in Harlem, by the way, on 128th Street in, in New York. Oh. And uh, his friends in New York said, we should get the train, but no need to hurry. Uh, this was on the 24th of October. Said Harry's too good a showman to miss the opportunity to die on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and at 1.30 in the afternoon, yeah. he did. So. On that note, maybe we should do our, our cemetery tripping. Well, yeah, but let's explain what we're going to do. Okay. Right. Uh, All right. We, have, we, have, we have a bit, of course, another <laughs> one of, of your famous cemetery trippings. Yes. And while we're going to play this, you are going to assist the great piano, I yeah, am. or the semi-great piano, in setting up for a Harry escape thing, right? Yes. <coughs> I'm so okay. excited. So we'll do the cemetery tripping. Okay. Let her rip. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where I will feature a different cemetery in each episode that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. As an avid or lover of tombstones, I spend a lot of time in the local New England area in the beautiful and historic cemeteries we have here. The stones here are like no others, and I have literally thousands of pictures of the intricate and symbolic carvings found on them. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Today we're going to talk about a very famous grave in perhaps a not-so-famous cemetery. The grave is that of world-renowned magician Harry Houdini, who died tragically at age 52. Harry was known for his great strength, an assertion that punches in the stomach did not hurt him. At an appearance at the Princess Theatre in Montreal, Canada, a McGill University student, J. Gordon Whitehead, took him up on his claim. Unfortunately, Houdini was not prepared for the surprise multiple blows to his abdomen, reclining on a couch at the time while recuperating from a broken ankle. He continued with his performances for the next two days in great pain, but never sought medical help. By the time he did see a doctor, he was running a fever and advised to have immediate surgery. He did not heed this advice and continued his performance schedule. Houdini's last performance at the Garrick Theater in Detroit, Michigan, on October 24, 1926, was his last. Despite the diagnosis and a fever of 104, Houdini took the stage, but passed out and was later admitted to Detroit's Grace Hospital. He died of peritonitis from a ruptured appendix at 1.26 p.m. in room 401 on Halloween. Houdini's funeral was held on November 4, 1926 in New York, with more than 2,000 mourners in attendance. 
He was interred in the Machpela Cemetery in Glendale, Queens, New York, with the crest of the Society of American Magicians inscribed on his gravesite. A statuary bust was added to the Excedra in 1927, a rarity, because graven images are forbidden in nearly all Jewish cemeteries. In 1975, the bust was knocked over and destroyed. Temporary busts were placed at the gravesite until 2011, when a group who came to be called the Houdini Commandos from the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania, placed a permanent bust with the permission of Houdini's family and of the cemetery. The Houdini gravesite is no longer cared for by the Society of American Magicians, but by the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. To this day, society holds a broken wand ceremony at the gravesite each November. Houdini's widow, Bess, died of a heart attack on February 11, 1943, aged 67, in Needles, California. She had expressed a wish to be buried next to her husband, but instead was interred at the Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Westchester County, New York, as her Catholic family refused to allow her to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. I found it interesting that when I tried to look up the plot listing for Houdini, Eric Weiss, or Harry Weiss, and Machpela Cemetery, there was no entry on the burial list. There is also no listing for Theodore Hardin, Harry's brother, who also was interred there. Perhaps they choose not to draw attention to their most famous denizen. Or is it all just an illusion? You will simply have to visit yourself and see it to believe it. Back, and I hope you enjoyed our cemetery tripping. And now, the great piano, can we say the great piano? The semi-great Viano will perform his escapism. Okay, I, I've got a couple of escapes here that were actually done by Harry Houdini, but I want to give you some background on them. Uh, this device is known as an Australian muff. Harry discovered it in Australia and incorporated it into his act. Now, why was he in Australia? Harry was fascinated with airplanes. And when the Wright brothers flew, he immediately became interested. He started investigating. He ended up buying an airplane that was built in France because he thought it was safer. He learned to fly that plane in Europe. He's logged in as the 25th person to ever fly an airplane. No one had ever flown an airplane in Australia. Now, Harry had earlier said that he would never go to Australia because it was too far from his mother and hard to communicate. <laughs> now, Mama. Mama was still alive at that time, but Mama was an important part of his life. So he had his airplane disassembled, flown to Australia, reassembled, and then he went out and he flew the plane, thereby becoming the first person to ever fly an airplane in Australia. Wow. So that's why he was there. Now, Australia was a penal colony for the Brits. And this device was used to confine prisoners. They would take prisoners out of after they get the fire, out of jail and take them out into the outback to work. So you'd put six or eight prisoners onto a buggy. Oh, nice job. <laughs> ah. Wait. <laughs> Is that too tight? Uh, we'll see you later. Richard, <laughs> uh, briefly. I'm off mic now, so I can say anything I want. No, you're not really. You want to briefly describe that for us? Oh, okay. This is a, a large black leather strap 
Uh, and it simulates the muffs that ladies wore in the day. It was a, a cylinder, a fur-lined cylinder that you put your hands in from either side and keep your hands warm in the winter. So this was a similar device, except rather than being fur-lined, it's got chains and leather straps and so on, so that your hands go into the device crossways as if I'm into a nice fur-lined muff. And then when securely inside the thing, the chains, the hands are crossed in front of me. Okay. Then Anne yanks on the chains oh, and pulls it up tight <laughs> and then locks it tightly so I'm constrained. Now, the idea was you could put six or eight hardened criminals into the, the buggy and one man with a rifle and one man driving, and you could take them out into the outback. When they got out in the outback, then you would unchain them, let them go to work for the day, and then you'd put them back. So Harry saw this while he was there flying his airplane, and he said, hmm, interesting. So he incorporated the Australian moth in his act. Now, what I've done today is to take okay. the moth. Excellent job. One. <laughs> Harry performed this as, as, a one, as a single escape. I'm taking two of Harry's escapes and putting them together to save time. When Harry performed, shows were much longer than they are today. And so he could do one at a time. I'm going to try to do two. Uh, many times, Harry's, part of Harry's act was what's called a challenge act. So he would challenge people to come up with something that, see if you can escape from this, Harry. As he was scheduled for a show in Worcester, Mass., he sent his lead man out to look around, see if you can find me a challenge. They found a company in Dudley, Mass., that made all of the mailbags east of the Mississippi. You're doing a wonderful job. Oh, yeah, I got it. it. <laughs> oh, thank you. So you can see I'm pretty well restrained and like that. So at any rate, he found the mailbag made in Dudley, Massachusetts. So I'm going to do the mailbag and the Australian mouth simultaneously. Harry did them separately. Okay, I'll uh, go over I'll here. And help us that we get down here. Okay. Uh, hopefully, you're stepping into the mailbag, right? Yep. Okay. Now Anne's going to pull the mailbag up around me. I can't help her because I'm locked up. He's locked up. Dealing <laughs> in a mailbag that is the size mailbags were made back then. It's coming up, coming up, coming up. <laughs> Hold on, I lost my mic. <laughs> uh, wait, wait <laughs> uh, Harry was five foot two. The bag would come all the way up okay. over his head. Are we in? Uh, almost. <laughs> I'm six foot two. My head's going to stick out just as well. Uh, okay. Anne is now going to pull on the rope, oh, pull the, the opening closed. This yeah. assistant stuff is really exhausting. I'll Better tell you. Than me. You think so? <laughs> oh. there's, there's, there's another part that's bad, too. Okay. Ouch. Is that good? Ouch. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh. Now we now. have this. Okay. You've got to lock that baby up, okay? The lock she's using is a high-security British lock. They were commonly used by the male people. So that you had security in your mail, okay. and it wouldn't get there. All right. Okay. Now here's, here's that key. Okay. I actually right. decided that I was going to reveal 
have all the keys. There, thank you. All right. I, I decided I was going to reveal a secret here, and I forgot to tell you what I was going to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, we were talking earlier about how to get out of this, how to get out of that. Uh, I'm a locksmith. Harry was a locksmith. He learned how to open locks and, and, and uh, how to pick locks. More importantly, he learned how to manufacture picks to pick locks. So on the, on the spot, he could, when presumably having nothing to work with, he would find something to work with. He would make a lock pick, and he would pick the lock. So a lot of his escapes were based on that skill. Now, is that cheating? I don't think so. Oh, it's hard to breathe in here. It's hot. All right, so uh, you... Uh, okay, you can give us... Tell, tell, me, tell them what I'm doing. Okay, so basically, uh, your head's sticking out of a bag, which is not a bad look for you, by the way. <laughs> um, and you're, you're handcuffed in that, that, not handcuffed, but that thing is in there. And, and you're in there, and you're turning red, and you're breathing kind of funny. Yes. So I don't know if you're dying or you are doing something, but um, it, it looks interesting. It's all part of the act. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> if it were easy, you would do it. Now, what's, what's amazing, and I can see this, that he has more movement now than he had two minutes ago, and now he's actually eating the bag. I think he's eating the bag. Uh, he's doing something to the bag with his mouth. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and oh, my God, his glasses just he fell off. And his hands are loose. A hand is loose. A hand is loose. <sighs> he's unloosened the bag. And he has stepped out of the bag, and, the bag. Oh, and not only stepped out of the bag, he took off that muff, and there he is. Wow, there you go. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Thank you, my dear. Wonderful You're very job. welcome. <sighs> that was absolutely cool. You know what? Now somebody asked earlier why I don't do this anymore. <laughs> yes. That, that was absolutely cool, uh, Biano. I mean, you know. Keys. I mean, so many people would love to see me in a bag, um, but <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't happening. So, I mean, Holy you, think, crap. You, were, you were there, Ian, right? You were right there. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. I mean, these are the keys. Those are the they're, keys. You, they were actually locked, right? Yes. Yes, I locked every single lock with great difficulty, I might add. Right. I mean, that's the interesting <laughs> it was, it thing about it. Not, it wasn't easy to. Yeah, no, no. It was hard to get the locks or the chains and lock them up. But. And again... Anne was excellent in doing this because if she'd made it easy, it would have ruined the act. So you've I mean, got right? to make it difficult. So, if I don't come out with some some bruises and some <laughs> red marks, yeah, his hands then are all magic red. Trick. Yeah. So how much time do you think it took him to get out of there? Just guessing. Oh, it was maybe pretty fast. Three minutes, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I've done five. Yeah, I, it, that would it, be my it guess. It, it depends. Uh, the warmer it is, awesome. the faster it is. <laughs> Can I get you some water? Or, or? Some here, thank you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I'm sweating, then it gets slippery and it makes it easier. Uh, I don't want you to kill over on us. Because uh, <laughs> then we could have a seance and talk to him. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, Viano, uh, that was amazing, by the way. That yeah. was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very and amazing. 
you know, he's pretty well dressed. He's got a uh, double-breasted suit on. He's got those cool shirts that I like. It has no collar on it. Uh-huh. And he's got some pens and a little doodad thingy on it that blocks up the collar. A doodad? Yeah. But what I, I noticed that, you know, <laughs> a lot of magicians and, and other people that deal in this prestidigious stuff. Um, Prestidigitation. Yeah, that too. Um <laughs> They ha- they they you have that kind of jewelry. Is there is it particularly for instance? You have a triangle piece on your lapel. I don't have the normal magician's jewelry. You don't. Oh. No, this is special. One, I've got the little question mark here. Yeah. I'll do that first because that's real simple. It's a website called Gravesite. Where are graves? So for five bucks you can get a pen, and now you send them the name of somebody, and they'll tell you where they're buried. So ah, that's right up your alley. That's you a go. value. That's a Perfect. great value. Yeah. Uh, the triangle here is a symbol of an organization called the Immortals. Oh. I am a, a member of the Immortals, immortal. which does not mean I am immortal. Ben Helsing is always immortal. Uh, it was formed in Edinburgh, the most haunted city in the world, by Charles Cameron and Tony Andrusi. Tony was from the States and Charles was over there. And their concept was they were sitting around talking about the people who had taught them. Back in that Could day... Oh, I'm sorry. You broke the mic? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we have a mic. Okay. okay. There it is. Oh, okay, so we're talking about... You would have had a nice stomach. Uh, here you go. go. <laughs> okay, are you getting me now? Okay. okay. Can you hear me now? So, uh, anyway, the triangle here is the Immortals. It's an organization that uh, was formed by Charles uh, Cameron and Tony Andrusi. Tony from the States, Charles from Edinburgh. And back... A hundred years ago or more, there were not DVDs and books to learn magic. The way you learn magic was to find a magician, and you go to them, and you prove yourself worthy, and you serve an apprenticeship. Pretty much like Ann has with me. And so uh, they were talking about their mentors, who most magicians today had never heard of. But their concept was that if we remember them and we keep talking about them, they are immortal. That's true. But it's not me that's immortal. It's the great Viano Mm -hmm. who's immortal because he was my mentor. He taught me, and as long as I keep him alive in my memories, he's alive. He's immortal. Sort of like juniors, and you take your father's name and carry on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Memory lives on. So I I don't have any other magician things here because I didn't come here as a magician, but I am Mm -hmm. a member of the immortals. That's cool. The, the models were also a uh, Persian uh, fighting force as well. Oh, okay. They get their ass kicked by the <laughs> 300. Uh, <laughs> that's another story. Don't swear on okay. public public access TV. Okay. Oh, we have a we have a question. We do. Um, and actually, Sam, our floor director, would like to know how long Viano has been doing things like this. Uh, pretty long, they're guessing. How long are you guessing? <laughs> Not fair. This is radio. We can't wait. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Long story. I became interested in magic when I was a dozen years old. I was a very, very shy person. So I studied magic from the time I was 13 till I was 21. I read books. I studied. I never performed for anybody because I was shy. Uh, when I had children, I performed magic for them, but I never performed for anybody else. I was actually, I think, 35, 6, or 7 years old 
when through a whole series of strange events, I found that I could get on stage and do another job. And it dawned on me that if I can do that, perhaps I can do magic. So my first public show, I was, I think, 37 years old. I'm now 75. A couple years ago? Yeah. So uh, I started performing, and I was doing magic then. And I got tired of magic and went into mentalism. I got frightened when a young lady believed that I was real as I was doing magic tricks. She was going to quit her job in Boston and move and park her van in front of my house so she could be close to me. <laughs> a groupie. And I said, <laughs> ouch, so I quit that. <laughs> then I met Don Viano, who was doing escapes, and I said, ah, I won't have women chase me for that. So I started doing escapes then. And, and Don started training me, and then later he was involved in the car accident. And when he was, he came to me and said, will you do my show? Wow. So I uh, took over the, the Houdini Lives Again was the show. And uh, again, the concept was that we did real escapes for real people. And uh, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, the guillotine, by the way, which we showed earlier, was never performed by Harry Houdini. Everything else in the show had been performed by Harry. Mm -hmm. The guillotine was created by Don Viano. And uh, That's crazy. in the small show, that was the ending of really the show. Crazy. For the large show, we had a, a Chinese water torture cell. It, it is interesting to me, I would pull that up to the top, pull the cross head up to the top, weighs about 40 pounds, and then I would drop it to let you see what's going to happen. It would hit and go boom. Two seconds later, I would get a chill up my spine. Oh, Every time I did this, but yeah. it was like, that's interesting. Why is it two seconds? Bang. Zoop. Uh, and uh, so I never entered that guillotine not charged up and psyched up. It was, uh, it was scary. Didn't you kind of like use like a head of lettuce or something and drop it? Yeah, we chopped the lettuce. Yeah, we, here's a head of lettuce in there. So we pull it up and we chopped the head of lettuce in half to show that it's a real blade. Because uh, everybody's seen the, the guillotines where you push the thing down and the blade comes out the bottom and the child is unhurt. Right. right. That's yeah. not what we do. Yeah. So we had to, again, we had to sell the concept that this is not a magic trick. This is an escape. So that's the way we sold that, and wow. uh, it was it was good. Oh, uh, I never faced it without being uptight because it was a it was a challenge. Uh, this may be your last show, right? And um, might be dead in five minutes. Uh, less right. than that. Wow. <laughs> it is sharp. Uh, interesting question. Again, Don was asked this once. He had a reporter came up and touched the blade, and he said, "Damn, that's sharp." Yeah. Um, and Don said. Why would I want it dull? Because uh, <laughs> then it would just go thunk. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm going to get hit. I want it sharp. Exactly. Just Van Helsing, we do have a five-minute warning. Okay. So do you, know, you do know that, like, you know, when they killed the, the, the people in England, with the, they weren't the all guillotine. good. Yeah, no, the guillotine. I'm talking about the, you used to take the sword oh, yeah. oh. and the axes and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, there were some real hacks there. They weren't that good. Yeah. They two and three yeah. hacks oh, and oh, everything oh, else. And, oh, that's Oh, awesome. my gosh. Oh. Give me a break. That's why the French made it better. Yeah, so much efficient. You know, you can line up the heads um, and go chop, 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 chop. We have another question from Stephen Scott. He'd okay. like to know what Viano's favorite escape was, um, if you could tell us quickly. <laughs> the studio. <laughs> uh, Getting out of yeah. the <laughs> I don't know. I love them all. Uh, the guillotine was the one that charged me up the most. The handcuff act, I felt better in terms of interacting with people. With the guillotine, I was in my own little world, and I don't, don't know whether there's anybody out there or not because I'm so focused. 
But with the Handcuff Act, I can talk to people and relate, and it's more fun. Mm -hmm. So one is fun, the other is, uh, and which is my best? I don't know. Okay. Now, Speaking about the uh, studio audience. Yes. Yes, we have. Do you guys have a question at all? Our at studio all? audience has doubled <laughs> this week. That's me. Fireblowing, right? Because of the escapes, I, I kind of hang out with sideshow sorts of people a lot. And so they, you, know, you have to do sword swallowing and fire eating and all that kind of stuff to be part of that fraternity. So wow. um, I don't like sword swallowing, but I do like fire. Can you tell us what that is? Uh, yeah, that particular one is lamp oil. Ew. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I do the same thing when I go to Mexican restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, oh. I prefer lamp oil. It's a little higher viscosity. Some people use Coleman fuel. It, you swallow more oh, Coleman God, fuel. Oh, God, that's awful. Uh, but, yeah, it's... Yeah. We, do, um, we do have a two-minute warning, so we kind of need to wind down. So and, uh, the two-minute warning, does that mean we have two minutes left in the show or two minutes you before You have two minutes closing? left to speak. Oh, there you go. To speak. All right. So <laughs> quick question, since this is a paranormal show, do you believe in ghosts or spirits? I'm open to the concept. I've had paranormal experiences, I know. They okay. were not ghosts. Okay. I'm not sure what that means. I had a precognition experience where I visited a town I'd never seen before and knew exactly where everything was in the town. And it was the first time I'd ever been west of the Mississippi, and I knew where the little restaurant was that I wanted to go eat in. I wow. knew everything about that town. I had never been west of the Mississippi before, and I have no explanation for it. Oh. Huh. I've had a couple of other similar... I've never talked to a ghost. I've had other similar things. Now, in my seances, I've had people talk to ghosts. Okay. Wow. And I don't know if it was their imagination or if it was a ghost. Well, so anyways. Uh, you do we, have to wind it we up? We do have to dial it down. We haven't spirit quests this year, uh, spiritualists and, and ghost hunting in the beginnings. And I'm hoping to invite you back, and we're going to talk a little bit about that off. From so anyways, uh, the great semi-great piano. <laughs> semi piano. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. And, oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. So much Enjoyed fun. Enjoyed it. Good night and God bless everyone. We'll see you next time. This is